I want to say what's up to our campuses that are watching throughout the state of New Jersey, or if you're watching online, or maybe you're listening in the podcast. We're so excited to have you guys as we are in week two of our series, Love Comes to Town. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you guys. And I'm telling you, this is really a phenomenal series where we are actually going to learn how to love one another better. In fact, at all of our campuses... In every small group, we are all digging into the same themes, the same ideas, so that we can grow together, not just individually. In fact, to help us in that aspect, we actually have these really awesome group guides. And these guides are great. I love them because one of the things you can do is you can actually take notes in them. You can write down any questions or the things that you're learning. Then you can go into your small group and discuss them and go even deeper. So it's going to be a really great series. In fact, Pastor Tim last week kicked this off, and he had us turn to page seven and actually do the self-assessment. How many of you guys did the self-assessment from the week before? Awesome. And so here's mine. I actually kind of wrote out uh, some of the things that, you know, the people in the relationships I'm in that I want to grow in. You know, my, my, my wife, my brother, co-workers, neighbors, you know, difficult people in my life. You know, I actually thought the graphics guy was going to, you know, Blur these out, but it's okay. Um, just don't tell Pastor Tim. It's our secret, right? Um, but, you know, going back to number seven, don't we all have some sort of difficult people in our lives, people that we have a hard time dealing with or getting along with? We all have those people. In fact, I have a term for these people. It's VDP. You know what that stands for? Very draining people. These are the emotional vampires that are sucking the life out of you. They're sucking the vitality out of you. They're taking away just your joy in life. They rub us the wrong way. They're annoying. They're irritating. Uh, In fact, they kind of rub us the wrong way, kind of very similar to how sandpaper kind of rubs us the wrong way, right? You guys ever heard the sound of sandpaper rubbing together? Like, say you have a difficult coworker just rubs you the wrong way, right? Or maybe you have a difficult family member that rubs you the wrong way. It's just they're hard to deal with, annoying, difficult, right? We all have those people in our lives. In fact, often they rub us the wrong way and we kind of want to avoid them. But what if, rather than letting these people kind of rub us the wrong way, we actually let them kind of take off the the hard edges in our life, actually kind of smooth out those areas so that we can be better people. We can be the people that God has called us to be and who's transforming us into becoming. In fact, here's what I'd like to do. I actually want to have us make this personal. I actually want us to kind of make this personal. So I'm going to ask our ushers from all of our campuses, ushers, why don't you come down Come on down, ushers, just like it's The Price is Right. And here's what they're going to do. They're going to pass out your very own sheet of sandpaper. You're going to get your own very, your very own sandpaper square. So go ahead, ushers, go pass them out all across our campuses. Make sure everyone gets a square. Uh, folks, hold on to it. Please take one. Don't take more than one. God is watching. 
and so am I, okay? Um, and I want you to hold on to these. And, and in a moment, we're going to do something with them. But the truth is, we all have a very draining person in our life, or maybe we have several draining people in our lives, right? It could be a coworker. It could be uh, someone that you are in a relationship with or is part of your family. Uh, in fact, you know, I have a, a very draining person who's kind of a childhood friend. I don't see them very often, but when I see them, you know, in a party, I'm always wondering, do I avoid him or do I engage? Because this guy is literally having this competition with me that I'm not playing. Like, literally, I am not playing. I have no desire to win. But literally, he comes up and goes, so, uh, how many kids you have now? Oh, you know, I've got two. You know, I've got a, a daughter and a son. He goes, oh, well, you know, I have three now. Like, that's how it sounds when he says it. I'm like, oh, you know. And, he's, and he kind of goes on and goes, oh, so are, are your kids reading? Yeah, I go, yeah, my daughter, she's in second grade. and She's reading books. She's doing really well. Oh, you know, my daughter's three, and she's reading Shakespeare. Like literally, it is like nails on chalkboard irritating. And, and so literally, I kind of want to avoid this guy because he depletes me. And that's what very draining people do. They kind of deplete, our, deplete our, our, the life right out of us. We want nothing to do with them. But what if we could actually use those people or actually have those people become the very people that can actually bring change into our own lives? There's a way we can do that, but we kind of need to identify who those very draining people are in your life. And so I want to actually go over four types of very draining people. And so if you're taking notes, the first type of draining people are difficult people or rude people. You know, these are the people that literally, they're always disagreeable. They're never happy. They're always complaining. They always have a problem with something. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it's, it's Thanksgiving and maybe you're hosting. So you take out this beautiful, delicious turkey and they look at you and go, oh, I became a vegan last week. I can't eat that. Well, we, well you know, I have cranberry sauce but it's from a can. I can't eat that, right? Like literally, they'll find something wrong with everything. They're nitpicky. They're difficult. They're, they're argumentative. They are difficult and draining. But if you don't have a difficult person in your life, you might have a demanding person in your life. This is someone who is aggressive, who is pushy, who always demands their own way first. It's either their way or their way. Those are your choices. You know, I have a friend of mine who, uh, whose sister is very demanding. She says, you know, I love my sister, but man, when she visits, it's a chore. I literally have to do a separate shopping trip just to get the food that my sister will eat. Then, like, I have two kids under five, and my sister demands that they are quiet during the day, that they don't bother her or disturb her. And then here's the, the kicker. She actually demands the kind of sheets that she wants. Like, literally, she gives me the thread count and says, I can only sleep on this. And she is demanding, and by the time she leaves, I am just done. I am drained because she's so demanding. And then on top of that, you know, there are those demanding people in our lives. There's also disappointing people, people that just seem to let us down. They're reliably unreliable, right? You know, maybe they just are always kind of flaking out on plans or dropping uh, or kind of canceling last minute. And best case scenario, they're a little annoying, maybe frustrating. But worst case, they can actually cause a lot of devastation in our lives. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine, and she's a single mom, and the family blew up because the husband was an alcoholic. And uh, she was telling me, you know, Nathan, I really, uh, you know, I, I love my kids, but I'm really struggling with what to do about my husband because, you know, when it's his turn to come and pick up the kids and spend time with them, you know, I pack up their bags and we're waiting out on the porch for him to come, and he never shows up. And my kids are just so hurt, and they're in so much pain. And, you know, I really dread the holidays when I know that there's certain holidays that he's going to have them because I just don't know if he's going to show up. He is disappointing them in such a way that it's actually devastating them. Disappointing people can be draining. 
And sometimes disappointing people overlap with the fourth kind, which is destructive people. Destructive people. These are people that just seem to always hurt you. Maybe they've hurt you once. Maybe they hurt you over and over again. And some of them aren't even aware that they're doing it. And some of them do it and they actually take joy in hurting you. They, 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 they love it. They get glee from it. You know, whether it's you have a kid who's kind of chosen a path of self-destruction and they're kind of going and going down there, or it's a spouse or it's an ex, and they just seem to just cause all sorts of devastation, destruction wherever they go, and you're kind of left there kind of hang, holding the bag going, what do I do with this stuff? You see, we all have these very difficult, very draining people in our lives, and they're like sandpaper. They irritate us, they hurt us, they crush us, and we want nothing to do with them. But they could also be the very opportunity that God uses to transform us and reshape us to love them better and to love people better, to transform our character. In fact, uh, we're going to actually be looking at these types of people in your group this week. In fact, my group just met this past week and had a great discussion. And on page 14, you're actually going to be wrestling with this question right here. The question is this, can you identify one of the very draining people in your life? You know, difficult, demanding, disappointing, destructive. Without naming names, can, can, you, can you define who they are? In fact, I want to actually prepare you for your group this week by identifying them right now. So right now, go ahead and take out that piece of sandpaper that you had. Go ahead and hold up your sandpaper. And also grab one of the pens that you have on your, on your seats. Get your pens. Let me hear clicking across our campuses. Click, 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 click. Ah, the sound of clickings. So soothing, right? And here's what I want you to do. I actually want you to put the initials of that very draining person in your life. Put their initials on the back of this piece of sandpaper. And, and, and if you're sitting next to that person, maybe you need to put those initials backwards or something or put them in Latin or Greek, whatever you need so, you know, it's not awkward. But here's why I want you to have their name or their initials on the back of this piece of paper because I want them on the forefront of your mind as we're about to dive into the scripture because God wants to do something in this person's life. God wants to do something in your heart. And so as we dive in, we're going to find a prescription on how we can love the most difficult, draining people in our lives by going to the Scripture. So if you have your group guides, why don't you go ahead and turn with me to um, page 12. And we're going to actually walk through 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I know for, for many of you, Pastor Tim kicked it off last week going through 1 Corinthians 13, the first three verses. And maybe you remember having 1 Corinthians read to you at a wedding. Maybe you were at a wedding where people read these scriptures, or maybe even at your own wedding, uh, you had them read. And they are beautiful, beautiful scripture. It's poetic. Um, it's very powerful. But I think so often we miss the power of these verses uh, because we just kind of read them because they sound nice. But there's actually a lot of power that we find in the scripture. So let's walk through that together. Starting at verse 4, it says this. In fact, whatever you say in bold, go ahead and say that with me. Love is patient. Love is kind. I'm going to pause here for a second. Paul, who is the writer of this letter, is essentially kind of making this distinction between this is what worldly love is, but this is what godly love is. Worldly love is all about attraction and romance and playing the game and kind of getting all those things to happen. But godly love is different. Godly love is about patience and kindness. Godly love is about serving and, and sacrifice. In fact, one of the things that Paul is, is saying by this phrase here is love is patient just like God is patient. Love is kind just like Christ is kind to you. And these are the qualities that we need to live with. In fact, the context of this, of this set of scripture we're looking at isn't about husbands and wives or people that are dating. This is actually for everybody, all of us, and how we interact with one another, with how we interact with human beings. This is how we interact with one another, with patience and kindness. 
And he goes on to say, here's what love is, but here's what love is not. Love, it does not envy, it does not boast, and is not proud. Now, why does Paul do that? Why does he start by saying, here's what love is, now here's what it isn't? Because just like in Paul's day, like it is in our day, love is a word that's overused, isn't it? We use love all the time. It is played out. In fact, you know, we say things like, man, I love my spouse. They're so amazing. I love my spouse. I love my wife. I love my husband so much. Oh, but man, I love pizza. Pizza's so good. Pepperoni, sausage, Neapolitan. I love pizza. Or man, I love my kids. My kids are the best. They're so amazing. I'll do anything for my kids. But man, I love the Yankees. They're my team. They need to make it to the, to the World Series this year. But your love for pizza and your love for your spouse better not be the same. Or you're going to have a problem. You know, your love for your kids shouldn't be the same love you have for the Yankees, right? Because the Yankees is conditional love, and your kids, it's got to be unconditional. But so, so when Paul's making this distinction, he's saying, guys, you got to understand love, it's not envious, but you know what it is? It is generous. Love, it is, it is not proud and it is not boastful, but you know what it is? It's humble and it's serving and it's sacrificial. Paul's trying to make sure that the people understood that love that God gives us, that Christ gives us, isn't like the love that's out there. And then he, he kind of describes very draining people in verse 5. In fact, I want to actually read this from the New Living Translation because I, I kind of like the way it kind of phrases this a little bit better than what's in your book. So go ahead and just direct your uh, attention to the screen. It says this. Love is not rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. And love keeps no record of when it has been wronged. And then Paul kind of comes back. And he says, guys, here's what love is again. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in what? Truth. See, in this passage, we have four insights that are going to help us love the very difficult people, the very draining people that you've put on the back of your sandpaper. People that when you see them, they irritate you, they rub you the wrong way, and make you want to go in the other direction. But actually, it could be the very means that God wants to use to transform you and transform them. So maybe right now, on your sandpaper, there is a difficult person that you're thinking of. There's a difficult person in your life that's just straight up rude. Like, you have a hard time with them. Have you guys noticed that there's a lot of rude people in New Jersey? I know. I don't know why that is. There's a lot of rude people in New Jersey. In fact, how many of you actually live with a rude person, right? No, don't raise your hand. I don't want to get you in trouble. But how many of you, you, know, you live with someone who's kind of rude? In fact, you know, my wife discovered that she lives with a rude person, and that person is me. In fact, this past week, you know, um, we uh, were sitting down to dinner, and we had both had just really long, long days. Um, my wife is a teacher, loves her job, loves teaching, and, but she was, you know, it was one of those really long days, and then she picked her kids up from school, and she brought them to the house, and then she took whatever little energy she had left, and she made this amazing dinner. And so, you know, I had a long day, too, and I was kind of out of it, so I, we come home. We're sitting down to dinner, and, you know, I have this disease where uh, I, I, it's called foot and mouth syndrome. Any, any of you ever suffer from that? Where literally, you know, when you start talking without a filter, things that should not be said are said. And so, you know, my wife, who's just, you know, exhausted after cooking this amazing meal and we're eating it together, and all of a sudden I'm like, you know, you know what would make this meal even better? What if we get some garlic bread? Yeah, mmm. Or how about we get like some sweet sausage and some hot sausage? Oh man, that's going to be great. Or some homemade meatballs. And so I'm kind of going on and on and on, and I'm looking over at my wife, and she is starting to She's starting to wilt. Then she starts to smolder, and I'm seeing this fire start to build. I'm like, uh, hey, babe, you all right? She goes, I just spent the day with 23 fourth graders. 
Then your children that I picked up were having a war in the backseat of my car the entire time, and now I come home to another fourth grader that is criticizing my cooking that I literally just had no energy left to give. And then all of a sudden I had this realization, oh my gosh, I'm being a jerk. I'm being a rude jerk. I am being such a punk. And, and it kind of brought me back to this idea that if love is not rude, then I need to be tactful, not just truthful. In fact, go ahead and write that down. I need to be tactful, not just truthful. Because when we're in a rude kind of business, we return rudeness with rudeness, meanness with meanness. Because the problem is, oftentimes, uh, you know, we have this hard, hard time being tactful, which, which is kind of saying something kindly, right? And often this is really hard for those of us who have the spiritual gift of criticism. Like, it's, it's just hard for us to be tactful. But the other part of rudeness is often we're rude because we're in a rush. We got to get from one place to another. We got to go. We got to get the job done. Go, 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 go. In fact, how many of you have had this happen, right? You're, you're in your car and you're waiting and you're late. You're late for a meeting. You're, you're running some errands and you're running a little bit late. You got to pick your kid up from school or whatever it is. And you are feeling the, the, you're feeling the heat, the rush. Like, I got to go. Come on, hurry up. And before the light can even turn green and the first person in the car in front of you can even respond, you just go, eh, come on, buddy, hurry up. Eh, eh, eh. You are just being rude and because you, you have to rush you're in a rush but being tactful takes time being tactful means you got to take a deep breath and pause because when you can speak with tact you know what happens you can actually have more of an impact your words can actually be bridge building not bridge burning. In fact, I love how Proverbs 16.2 puts it. Proverbs 16.2 says this, a wise, mature person is known for his understanding. The more, say this word with me, pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. The more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. In fact, here's what I want you to write down. I am never persuasive when I'm abrasive. I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. In fact, why don't you go ahead and turn to the person next to you, take out your piece of sandpaper, and rub it together and say, I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. Ready? There you go. I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. What a beautiful sound. All across our campuses. I'm going to talk to our worship teams about including sandpaper as one of our instruments, right? But are you ever persuasive when you're abrasive, when you get abrasive with your spouse, when you get abrasive with your kids or your coworkers? No, I mean, no one likes it when you're nagging, right? It doesn't seem to work. But so often, we end up doing that, and we, we think that's going to kind of get us what we want, but really, in the end, it actually does the opposite, because what happens is people get defensive, right? They, they, they actually put you on mute. But when you are tactful, when you can actually start to say words that are kind and words that are uh, the right kind of words, you can actually build bridges to people. Because if love is not rude, then I need to be tactful, not just truthful. And so if you have a difficult person in your life, a rude person, someone that just kind of rubs you the wrong way, are there opportunities this week that you can actually bring tact to them? Not just kind of say it and say, hey, I just, I'm just calling it like I see it, but actually can speak tactfully. Because being tactful means that you're being loving. But maybe you're here and you're like, well, Nathan, I don't really have a difficult person in my life. You know what I do have? I do have a demanding person in my life. Like They literally think that they're God's gift to creation right? In fact, the scripture says that, you know, love does not demand its own way. And if love does not demand its own way, I need to be understanding, not demanding. 
I need to be understanding, not demanding. You know, so often if we ever stand in line, maybe you, you've seen this where people just start kind of like literally melting down like at, at the ticket counter or when they're ordering their food. They're like, I demand extra honey mustard sauce for my french fries, right? Or I demand extra meat at Chipotle because that's my right. I deserve that, right? And they're literally treating their waiter or their server like garbage doing that. And it, it rubs everyone the wrong way. You know what the greatest test to your character is? How do you treat the person that serves you? How do you treat the person that's taking your order? Now, I know that, you know, we're not kings and queens. We don't live in that society where someone's serving us. But literally, on a day-to-day basis, we have several types of people that serve us, right? Maybe where you go, for your, go to the diner for your meeting, you have a hostess or a waitress that serves you. Or if you're getting coffee, you have a barista. You know, do you know your barista's name when you go and get your coffee? Or, or how about your secretary or, or, or your other employees or your mailman? Are you showing kindness to them? Or are you just demanding that they do what you want them to do? Because if you're a Christ follower in this room, we actually need to have the presence of Christ within us. And that presence is about serving. That presence is about humility. That presence is about loving those that are difficult to love. About loving those and being patient with those around us. But when we deal with demanding people, oftentimes it's hard for us to be understanding with them because they kind of, uh, you know, they, they kind of dredge up all of our own kind of anger and angst inside. That's why when you have a demanding person in your life, you need to ask yourself the three Bs. The three Bs. The Bs are actually from uh, Rick Warren, and it's this. What's their background? What are their burdens or battles? And what are their burdens? Their background, battles, and burdens. And what I mean by that is this. When you try to find out someone's background, it's, okay, like, were they raised in a dysfunctional home? Uh, maybe they're from a single parent family. Maybe they've just experienced a loss. Or how about what battles they're fighting? Maybe they're fighting a health battle. You know, they're, 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 they're going through chemo and this is a kind of a day-in, day-out struggle. Or how about maybe the burdens that are in their life? Maybe they're under a mountain of debt. Maybe they just found out they have to take care of aging parents and they're trying to figure out, you know, how do I take care of aging parents and kids that are off to college? But what are their three Bs? Because when we start to find out people's stories, hopefully it makes us more compassionate. You know, a friend of mine was telling me that she had a coworker that was really, really demanding. Literally, he'd show up to a meeting and he said, it's either my way or no way. And literally, it'd be a battle each and every meeting. It was nonstop. And she said, it's just emotionally exhausting dealing with this person. So my friend actually started to kind of dig into his story a little bit and dig into his background. And one thing she found out was that two years before, he actually owned his own business. And, uh, you know, it was really kind of something he put a lot of his time and energy and love into. But then the business folded. He had to go through bank- bankruptcy. And he was filled with such shame, regret, and anger. He was actually overcompensating when he was going to the meetings with other people that he worked with. He was actually powering up. He was actually pushing through, saying, I've got to show that I know what I'm doing. I've got to show that I'm a great business person. I've got to do all these things. And by doing that, he was alienating everybody. But he was doing it out of great hurt and pain. And when my friend found that out and the other coworkers were able to find that they were able to kind of deal more kindly and compassionately with their coworker. See, it's really powerful when you actually pause and find out the story of that very demanding person. Because when you hear their story, you can't help but feel compassion, kindness, and, and even some patience towards them. So for those of you that have a uh, demanding person on your piece of sandpaper... Do you know their three Bs? Do you know what their background is? Do you know what battles they're fighting? Do you know the burdens that they carry? Because I guarantee you, as you hear those things, 
you're just going to have compassion for them. But, you know, I know for some of you are like, well, Nathan, I don't really have a, uh, a difficult person in my, on my sheet of paper. I don't even have a demanding person, but I do have a disappointing person. I have a person that literally just lets me down all the time. And 1 Corinthians says that love is not irritated. And oftentimes, someone who disappoints us is. But here's the truth. At one point or another, you will be disappointed by someone in your life. Your spouse will disappoint you. Your partner will disappoint you. Your friends will disappoint you. Your coworkers will disappoint you. Your parents will disappoint you. Your family will disappoint you. I will even disappoint you. And it's not because we want to. It's simply because we are not perfect. There are no perfect people. And so when we experience disappointment, we need to be gentle, not judgmental. We need to be gentle, not judgmental. Because oftentimes when you're disappointed, the problem is of mismatched expectations. You know, we expect our spouse to always be kind and understanding. We expect our coworkers to kind of carry their fair share of the load. We expect our parents to come through no matter what. But what eventually happens is, because our, the people in our lives are human, our spouse is going to let us down. They're not going to be understanding or kind all the time. Our coworkers are going to be slacking on the project and make you have to do more. Your parents are going to drop the ball. They're going to let you down. And really, often, just because we're human beings, the first response is we get judgmental, don't we? We go, well, they should have done this better. They should have known that. And we start to judge them, and we start to get angry with them, and we start to kind of want to rip into them, which is why I think Galatians 6.1 is a good example or a reminder for us. It says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone in your group does something wrong, you who are spiritual should go to that person and gently help make him right again. Look at that word gently here. You see, it's so easy for us to rush to judgment, and some of us, we rush to confront, and we want to fight, and say, you did this, and, and really get into it. But if we actually paused and actually maybe confronted or asked questions gently, with tact, we may find information that we didn't even know about why a person acted the way they did. You know, uh, I think so often when we kind of rush to judgment, and we just kind of blow people off or just say, well, I'm done with you, what we end up doing is we end up building walls towards people, rather than bridges of understanding. And it causes all sorts of damage in relationships all the time. But what we need to learn to do is, how do we have those hard conversations? How do we have those awkward conversations, those difficult conversations that are seasoned with grace and gentleness? In fact, I have a great example of this um, with one of my coworkers. Uh, I've been working at Liquid for almost two years now, and I love it. Uh, one of our values is church is fun, and one of my values is Nithin is fun. So it really works well together. And, you know, I love to laugh, and so I love to come into work and love to crack jokes, make people smile, make people laugh, and, and have a good time. And so, you know, that's kind of like, you know, what, what I love to do. And, you know, I was talking with one of my coworkers, we went out for coffee, we were just kind of hanging out, and he said to me, you know, Nathan, I really appreciate having you here, because one of the things I appreciate is your humor. I feel like you know how to li lighten up a meeting and liven things up and keep things fun. And I just said, go on, tell me, keep, keep going. But then he goes, well, but the, other, but the one thing, though, is, is that, Nathan, I, I think you might be too funny. I said, too funny? No one ever tells Jimmy Kimmel he's too funny. Because Jimmy Kimmel's not funny, by the way. But, so, you know, he, he's kind of going into this, and I, and I was kind of saying, well, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, Nathan, I think sometimes you kind of use so much humor that it actually kind of overshadows the wisdom that you give. And you can actually sometimes kind of come off immature. See, in that moment, I had a choice. I could either choose to get defensive and to push back and make excuses, or I can pause 
Because my coworker, my friend, came to me with such gentleness, not judgment. And I remember what I said to him was, wow, thank you so much for sharing that. Because I needed to hear that. I needed you to tell me that, to give me this word of correction, this, this life-giving word that's going to kind of take off the rough edges. Because what happened is that, that word became a seed in my heart that, that was growing into a plant that will hopefully uh, have an impact in every aspect of my life. See, there are going to be people who are going to hurt you or disappoint you, but it's an opportunity for you to speak to them with gentleness. And when you take that step and say, you know what, I'm going to approach this person who's on, my, on the back of my sandpaper. I'm going to speak to them in gentleness. I'm not going to you know, minimize it, but I'm going to just gently talk to them so that, so that they can get better, so that I can get better, so we can rub the hard edges off of one another. But I know that there's some of you here that are like, Nathan, this person, I can never be gentle to them. You don't know what they've done to me. You don't know the pain that they've caused me. You don't know how they literally have just torn my life apart. This is a destructive person. This is a destructive person. But how do you love somebody that literally seems to live for making you miserable? How do you love somebody that's taking every opportunity to make things hard for you, to make things difficult for you, to kind of basically tear things apart for you? Because as human beings, we have two responses, don't we? We remember those things, right? If someone hurts us or wounds us or destroys something in our lives, we remember it. We like save it into our hard drive. We back it up on the cloud because we don't want to lose it. And we repeat this, this, this video in our minds over and over and over again of how they've hurt us and, and the pain that they've caused us. And when we, after we remember it, we also retaliate. We look for ways, how can we get back at them? How can we stick it to them? And all, all, this, all of a sudden, we're kind of consumed with them and that what happened to us and sometimes these events happen years ago, decades ago. But if love keeps no record of wrongs, then I need to stop repeating it. I need to delete it. I don't repeat it. I delete it. But you know, if I'm honest, this can seem like a really trite soundbite, right? I mean, it's like, oh, did, was he just looking for words that rhymed? Like, why would he say that? But, and, and here's the thing, I don't want to minimize any of the pain that you've experienced because I know some of you, you've been hurt so deeply that you can't, for, you can't forget what happened to you. And I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to erase that away. Because I know some of you have been told by other Christians, well-meaning Christians, maybe you've been told by them saying, you know what, you just got to forgive and you got to forget. You got to move on. But the problem is that Jesus never said, forgive and forget. The scriptures don't say it. The scriptures say that you need to forgive. Because what happens is when we're wounded, it's like this loop is playing in our minds, right, of what this person has done to us. And when we think about what they did to us or something happens that triggers what they did to us, we feel it all over again. It's almost like we're right there in that moment getting hurt all over again because we've built up this resentment that just is there in our lives that we seem to can't shake. You know, and resentment is an interesting word. In fact, if you kind of take the word resentment apart, you know, like you cover up the R-E here, it's this word sentiment, which sounds like sentimental, which is where it's kind of based out of, and sentimental means feeling. And R-E means again. 
So what this means is we're feeling again. Resent means we're feeling again those things that happened to us. So that time that you were wounded, that time that someone inflicted so much pain in your life, whenever you, something happens, you feel that again as if it was yesterday. It could have happened decades ago. It could have happened years ago. But whenever you, you hear something or, you, or someone says something, you feel it all over again. And that sense of resentment happens. And that's why Jesus says you need to forgive so that person doesn't have any more power over you. But forgiveness doesn't always mean that you're going to forget it right away. It may take you years before you can actually move past something. Like, I remember in high school, uh, there was this girl that I liked. And so I was trying to, like, you know, build a bridge towards her. So, like, I would pretend that I liked the band Hanson. You guys remember Hanson? And so I'd be, you know, so I'd go up to her locker. We'd talk about Hanson. And then eventually she just blew, blew me off. And now literally, anytime I hear mbop, I just get filled with rage. Like, uh, like yeah, just anger, Right? But that's what happens in our lives. Like we, Something happens to us, something triggers it, and we feel it again. Because it's so hard to just kind of let it go. But Jesus says, your job is to only forgive. Because what forgiveness does, it keeps that person's power over you, breaks it, so that you can live the life you were made to live, that you can become the man or the woman that God has called you to be, that you're not ruled by someone else and what they've done to you. But you can have a new future, a better future. But I want to call this out because I think sometimes for, we have this weird idea of forgiveness that means, oh, I, I, I should have no boundaries and let people walk all over me. I need to say that there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness is instant. Forgiveness is actually a work of grace. I don't think that you can just forgive someone on your own. You literally need a work of God deep in your heart before you can actually release someone. Forgiveness is a decision you make. Trust is different. Trust is earned. Trust takes time. Because if someone hurts you, they need to earn back your trust. And it may take a long, long time before you can ever trust them again. God says you need to forgive to break that power that someone else has over you. But you don't need to trust right away. In fact, there's some relationships that you have that you may never be able to reconcile because those relationships are toxic. Those people are toxic. And those people will cause all sorts of damage. So you need to set boundaries as an act of love and say, I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. Let me give you an example. Say they have a friend of yours, maybe a, an older son or an older daughter, and they have a drinking problem. Like they are just all out alcoholic. Like they drink to the point just to get drunk. It's not social. And they keep borrowing your car. And, you know, when they get your car back, you know, sometimes it smells a little like vomit. Uh, there's beer bottles on the floor. But then the last straw happens. Like, they drive your car and they wreck it. Like, it is completely trashed. And so they come up to you and say, I am so sorry about your car. I, I know I have a problem. Will you forgive me? What do you think you should do? If you are a follower of Jesus, what are you supposed to do when that happens? Do you forgive them? Absolutely. In that moment, by the power of grace, by the power of Jesus, you make the decision to forgive them. I'm not going to hold this against you. I am not going to uh, you know, let resentment rule me. I will forgive you. Now, this person comes back the next day and says, oh man, you know, it feels so good. Thank you so much for forgiving me. Um, I was wondering, you know, your, that new car that you got looks great. Could I borrow it? You know, a friend of mine's got a party and I, you know, I feel like I just need to go. Now, you're a Christian, you're a Christ follower. What should your response be? What's the most loving thing that you can say? No. Yes. 
All across our campuses, let's say no together. One, two, three. No, 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 no. You tell that person no. Why? I can forgive you, but I don't trust you. I'm not going to give you my car keys again. I'm not going to trust you with my vehicle because you just wrecked it. You need to show me that you're pursuing sobriety. You need to show me day in and day out that you are trying to get better, that you're going to meetings. Week after week, you need to prove to me that you're getting better, that you're healing month after month, sometimes year after year. See, we often make the mistake that if we forgive someone, it means we have need to let them back into our lives at the same level. But that is not what forgiveness means. Forgiveness means I cancel the spiritual and the emotional power that has in my life. But trust, this is a different story. Trust is earned inch by inch by inch. But trust is lost yard by yard. That's why it can be so devastating in dysfunctional house environments, the homes we lived in, or even work environments. There are consequences to the things people do to us. There's consequences to what you do to people. And if you're in a situation where there, there's abuse or there is um, betrayal in a home, yeah, forgiveness is instant. But trust, this could take a long, long time. And in fact, for some of you, you might need to know this now, there are certain relationships where you will never find reconciliation. Your job, forgive. Let Jesus give you the power to do this. And let God Take care of that. So let's go back to your paper here. The initials you have here. Maybe you have a destructive person or a disappointing person or a demanding person or or a difficult person. And for these next five weeks, this is your prayer assignment. That God would give you the ability to love this person in a way that they don't even deserve. That maybe you don't even have the power to love them. But this is an opportunity, not for this person to start keep rubbing you the wrong way, but for them to actually take off the hard edges in your life so that you can become the man or the woman that God has in mind for you. In fact, I love how Tom Holliday puts it. Tom Holliday says this. He says, Our relationships with others is molded not merely by what I want, but by the examples Jesus provides. I'm not only going to think about how I want to be treated, the golden rule. I'm going to look at how Jesus treats people. If I'm going to live out of sacrificial love, it's not going to happen accidentally. It's going to take a step, a conscious decision to act towards others the way Jesus acts towards me. See, loving this person, it's going to take a step that you're going to have to choose. Are you going to choose to say, I'm going to let this person make me bitter, or I'm going to let this person make me better? I'm going to let this person drive me closer to Christ for his power, his strength, and his joy, or I'm going to let myself get driven further away from Jesus. I'm going to let this person teach me how to love unlovable people. I'm going to turn my back on unlovable people. It's our choice. Are we going to let Jesus transform us? Guys, this week, I want you to take this sandpaper person and go ahead and Put this in your pocket all week long until you get to your groups because in your groups you're going to talk about who this person is and what God's doing. I know for some of you are like, Nathan, there's no way I'm ever going to talk about this person. I'm dealing with this person in my own way. I don't need to talk about it. I don't need to think about it. In fact, why would I do that? Why would I open up all those scars and all that pain again? Well, here's the question. 
If Jesus had a piece of sandpaper in his pocket, whose name, whose initials would be on this piece of paper? Who are the difficult people in Jesus' life? Who are the disappointing people, the demanding people, the destructive people? My initials would be on Jesus' piece of sandpaper. Your initials would be on Jesus' sandpaper. Because if we're really honest, there are times when we are difficult people, when we are demanding people, when we are disappointing people and we are destructive people. The things that I sometimes say and sometimes do can cause so much destruction and disappointment in the lives of the people closest to me. I know I'm on Jesus' piece of sandpaper. You know what Jesus says? He doesn't just take this and crumple it out and throw it. He says, come to me. Come to me and I will embrace you and I will hold you and I will love you. And as I love you, I will transform you from the inside out. I will make you who are unlovable to me lovable. Because that is what the power of the Spirit does. The Spirit transforms us from the inside out. The things we have no desire to do are the things that he gives us the desire and gives us the power and gives us the ability to do it. Only the power of Jesus. Amen? Because I can't be tactful and truthful without the power of God. Amen? I can't be understanding and not demanding without the power of God. I can't remember to ask the three B's, their background, their battles, or their burdens without the power of God in my own life. I can't be gentle and not judgmental without the power of God because I have too many hard edges. But God is at work in me so that one day I can not only stop repeating it, but I can delete it. The hurts that have been done to me because Jesus has taken my name and he's transformed me just as he's transforming you. For some of us here, we need the power of God. You've tried to do it on your own. And you've got the best of intentions to love your spouse. You have the best of intentions to set boundaries with difficult people and destructive people in your life. But you can't do it. And I don't want to say that to discourage you. In fact, this could be the best news you ever heard. You want to know why? Because there's someone that wants to give you that power. Amen? There's someone that wants to give you that ability. Amen? And it's not about doing harder or doing more. It's about simply surrendering to the Spirit of God and saying, Spirit of Jesus, Spirit of love, I need you to fill me. I need you to come inside of me so that you can funnel out your love, so that you can funnel out your forgiveness, so that you can funnel out your joy because I've got none of that in me. And we need to own it so that Jesus can fill us. So here's what I'd like to do. I want to ask across all of our campuses, if, if you need to be filled by the power of God right now, to love the very draining people in your life. I just want to ask you to stand. In fact, across all of our campuses right now, let's just all stand right now so that we can receive the power of God to do what only he can do in us. Give us the desire to change and transform us from the inside out. Because this is not a work of man. Forgiveness is not a work of man. It's a work of God. It's a work of grace. So right now, I just want to say, if you're here across all our campuses, I know right now you're watching a screen. Don't do this because some guy on a screen is asking you to do this. Do this because this is between you and God so he can make you love the hard, draining, difficult people in your lives. 
let's just go ahead and raise our hands up as if we're receiving something. Because right now, God is going to give us a fresh filling of His Spirit. So right now, Holy Spirit, we just ask you to come. Holy Spirit, would you fill us with your holy fire right now? Would you cleanse our bad motives? Would you cleanse our hateful feelings? God, would you cleanse us from the desire for bitterness and even unforgiveness, God? But would you change our hearts from the inside out? Would you give us the desire to forgive? Would you give us the power to forgive? Would you give us the power to love difficult people, to be patient, to be kind when we don't want to be? When we want to remember how they've hurt us, when we want to judge them, God, would you change us from the inside out? Lord, we tried on our own. We don't have the ability. We don't have the strength. We are exhausted. We need you to fill us and refresh us and reclaim us and renew us so that we can go and funnel that into this broken world, into our broken families, into our broken places of work. We need a fresh filling from the Spirit of God. So Holy Ghost, come now. You change us so that we can do our part and love this world around us. In Jesus' all-powerful, all-consuming name, the name that we come to declare that we love, Jesus. Amen.